John chapter 6. Let's begin in verse 60. If you have it, say, mm-hmm. Verse 60 says, On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this. Can you believe that? Disciples grumble. It's crazy. Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. Somebody say gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are all full of the Spirit and of life. Somebody say Spirit and say life. Then it says, yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. Verse 66, from this time, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. Whoa. 71. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, the one of the twelve, was later to betray him. Heavy scripture to end a chapter on. But nevertheless, there was a reason. Father, have your way one more time. Remove me. Place your Holy Spirit behind this pulpit. That he that has an ear, let him hear. In Jesus' name. And we all said, before you're seated, shake your neighbor's hand and tell them, God is always in control. Then you may be seated. God is always in control control. At the beginning of John chapter 6, we see Jesus with 5,000 men following him. And then it ends the chapter with just 11 believing in him. Andreas Kotzenberg said in his commentary, chapter 6 ends on a note of failure. And from one standpoint, he's actually right. The resistance to Jesus in this chapter gets stronger and stronger until almost everyone abandons him. So it looks like the opposition is winning. It looks like failure. So what necessarily is the point of this chapter? I think the point of this chapter kind of goes like this. I wrote this down. Whenever it appears that the opposition to Jesus is winning in this world, the people of God need a very vigorous and clear vision of God's sovereignty over all things, including resistance to Jesus. In other words, when it appears in your life that Jesus is not winning, whenever it seems as though he's not victorious over your enemy, just at that point and at that time, you need a very a tough and well-defined vision of God's power, God's authority over you and the fears over your life. You need a good awakening to understanding that no matter what you're going through, you're victorious. 
No matter what is happening in your life, you have the victory. Now, in this portion of Scripture, this is a very tough one. I'm not going to lie to you. This is going to be a very different message as well. Matter of fact, if you were with us last night, I had all those that were in attendance, all the disciples that were there, I had them read the whole chapter, right? How many of you were here last night? Now, be honest. How many of you, when you read that whole chapter, you didn't quite understand the whole thing? Just be honest. Just raise your hand if you didn't quite understand the whole thing. Okay, I'll be honest with you. When I read it last night, I didn't understand the whole thing. So I raised my hand with you. Because it's a very tough and difficult chapter to get by because it ends on a negative note. It ends on something like, man, what is going on here? Why would you end the chapter by calling somebody the devil? I mean, think about that. If somebody walked up to you that you respected, that you loved, looked at you and said, hey, I love hanging you around, but I just want you to know you're the devil. Now, that goes against all opposition of how we ever, God accepts everybody. God wants every, right? That's how, that's what, we're Christians. We are to love everybody. Yeah, but you're to understand what you're going through and what is taking place and who's around you and why they are there. See, a lot of times we begin to think, no, 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 it's, it's, God is great. God is awesome. Yes, even in his greatness, he controls your worst nightmare. Even in everything that you're going through, God knows and has positioned everybody there on purpose for a purpose. So when I began to study chapter 6, it's not exactly what I expected to say was the main point of this chapter. And if I'm honest with you, it's not even close. But I studied this real hard. In verses 52 through 71, there's a point that I really cannot escape. I'm going to tell you what I see here, and I'm going to trust that the Lord is going to use it. And it may not necessarily be the upbeat message that I I may normally have. It's going to be a little bit more of a teaching, but I really want us to get it and hear it here this morning. In verse 63, Jesus says, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And then in verse 68, he says, "Lord, Lord, Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So in other words, the big picture that I'm trying to get to you here is that by the end of this message, my prayer is is that you would understand that if you grab a hold of what God has for you, you will see eternal life. You will experience and be able to feed on eternal life and not death. Now, one of the things that really kind of has, has mystified me with this text that we read here in verses 52 through 71 is why Judas plays such a prominent role in this chapter. I looked at it, and I read it. Judas didn't do anything, but yet, in verse 64, John brings him up, and in verse 70, Jesus brings him up. They don't have to mention him, but they do. Why did they mention Judas in the midst of this chapter? Why is his name a prominent role? This is what I feel is the main part of this chapter. It's a deep and tough vision of the sovereignty of God over unbelief and even the resistance to Christ. Look at me in John chapter 6, verse 64. It says, but there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who those who did not believe and who it was who should betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. In other words, 
Judas hasn't come to me because it has not been granted to him by the Father. See, Judas represents the rebellion. He represents greed. He represents the resistance. He represents selfishness. But he was not granted to come unto the Father. See, this is very important. Now watch this. In verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with them. Now, this was the final defection where the disciples themselves, they were leaving in unbelief. Now, whenever uh, disciples left, they always left in unbelief. Somebody say unbelief. Then it says, continue reading with me. So Jesus says to the 12, do you want to go away as well? But Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Now, at the end of this chapter in verse 71 it's the end of the story because the story starts out with the feeding of the 5,000 somebody say 5,000 it starts with 5,000 and it ends with 12 it starts with the multitude but it ends with a remnant it starts out with thousands of people who were following and loved the feeling but it ends with the 12 who really are going to get inside and get deep with God. If you read this story, these kind of things happen within a moment's notice. And you wonder why many times, hey, whatever happened to so-and-so, it could happen within a moment. Hey, what happened? Where, where'd she go? It could happen within a moment. These are the kind of things that you and I must understand that what Jesus said in verse 7, he said, did I not choose you, the 12, and yet one of you, is the devil. Now, what you must remember is in verse 64, he says, Jesus knew from the beginning who those who did not believe and who it was to betray him. So why did Jesus bring up Judas in this picture again? Why did he call him a devil? And why does the story end right there? Now, in this chapter, the unbelief here is very prevalent and it's very widespread. And it intensifies in unbelief as the story goes on. Thousands of people in this chapter are unbelieving. Almost everybody who ate the bread and ate the fish left in unbelief. Yet they were a part of the feeding when you read that there. They were a part of the miracle. Yet when it came to the hardcore teachings that went beyond the miracles, people began to leave. See, this is why many times when it comes to we get different men that come in here, you know, like Pastor Tony Kemp, right? Oh, I want to go. I want to go. I want the miracle. I want to see the miracle. It happened here within the Bible. It happened here. Oh, man, the miracle. Okay, but then when it gets a little bit harder, okay, I'm, 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 I'm good. I, I'm a little bit good with that one. See, this is what was happening here in this story, the unbelief. And at the end of this, it looks like the devil would be winning. It looks like the slanderer, the accuser, the God of this world who uh, blinds those who, to the unbeliever. It looks like he is winning. But I want you to know, and this is the, the message here, the, the, the point of this story, is that the devil is never winning. He is never winning. Even when it seems like He's getting a prominent role in your life. He's not winning. I don't care what the world may say. I don't care what the world may do. You and I need to know that God is always on the throne and he has given you and I the victory. No matter what you may be going through, God is on the throne and God has given you the victory. You need to understand this. It's very, very 
important. See, right here, why does this come out in this story? Right here divides ways where people read the Bible. In verse 70, you can read it in one way, and you can only see problems. In other words, why would Jesus choose a man who he knows will betray him to be a part of the 12? And if he would betray him, then why? Then he has to betray him, so how can he even be free? And why does he call him a devil? Is he doomed like the devil? And if so, is he responsible like the devil? I mean, there's so many different ways to look at it in the negative light. And you can spend the rest of your life looking at verse 70 in the negative understanding, in the negative perspective. Or you can read verse 70 as the sanctuary of God's sovereignty. A sanctuary for your soul that when all hell breaks loose in your life, when you feel like everything is out of control and the devil is winning, instead of seeing only problems, you can see what Jesus offers you and I. And that is, yes, there is a devil in the ranks, but guess what? I put him there. Even though there's a devil in the midst of you, listen, I put him there and he must do what I say. That's a heavy statement right there. I, I think I just blew some of your minds away because it blew my mind away when I was reading it. As I was reading it and writing it down, I said, oh, my gosh. Think about that. Even though there's a devil in your midst, don't worry about it. He must do what God says. Doesn't matter. They can even be a fellow disciple. Make an altar call right now. John 10, verse 18 says, No one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. In other words, he's not in charge, but I'm in charge. Nobody tells me what to do. Nobody said, no, no, I am, in I am sovereign. I am an all-powerful. I am all-knowing, and I know exactly what I'm doing. I know exactly who's around you. There's a reason why. You may not like it. You may not feel good about it, but there's a reason, and there's a purpose, and whatever is going on in the plan I have for your life, they're going to help fulfill that purpose. May not feel good, but there's a purpose. I think, that's pretty much the main point of this chapter. Now, it's not the only point, but there is, but it is a big primary lesson of the chapter and as taken as a whole. So to see it more clearly, I want to go back really quick within this text in verses 52 through even 58. And Jesus made clearer and clearer the sovereignty of God over this increasing resistance. In verses 52 through 58, you can see some negative and even positive. Matter of fact, in verse 53, John chapter 6, verse 53, I'm giving you a lot of scripture here because it's very, very important. I believe if you come to church, you should get scripture anyways. Amen. It's kind of a good thing. That's why we're here. L let me just say this. If you have a tough time with scriptures, but you're coming to church, then you know what that's saying is that throughout the week, you're not reading the scriptures. Because you're saying, oh, this, if this is the only time you're reading the word, it's going to be very tough for you to live the word. It's going to be very tough. Uh, imagine it like this. If you were to go to school, remember some of you guys remember school way back when? Some of you probably smoked it away. I have no idea. But imagine you go, your teacher comes and your teacher gives you homework, and the very next day you come to, to class, the teacher says, where's your homework? I, said, I don't know, at least I'm here. 
And if that was your answer, at least I'm here, pretty much I think the teacher would fail you, right? Because you're not doing your due diligence for the class. But a lot of times we think we come to church and we have that mentality, at least I'm here. And so because the thing is, is you think, well, the pastor's not giving me a test. You're exactly right. I'm not testing you. God is. And he's going to give you a test tomorrow. And if you're not ready, don't get mad when you receive a paper that says F. But this is the great thing I love about it. If you fail the test on Monday, don't worry. He'll give you another test on Tuesday. That's what I love. It's great. Can I be honest with you? I think I failed the test last week. Gosh, but I'm not worried because I'm going to get another one this week. Just thanks, God. So look at this. Verse 53. It's kind of a negative connotation. It said, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Hmm. Verse 54. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Two different verses, two different perspectives right away. So if you don't eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink of his blood, you don't have eternal life. That's what verse 53 is saying. But if you do, you have eternal life, and Jesus will raise you from the dead. In other words, feeding on Jesus is the way to have eternal life. Feeding on the words of Christ, verse 55 and 56, they even give us this reason. It says, for my flesh is true, uh, true food and my blood is true drink. True drink and true food mean that the food and, and the drink that we ordinarily take into our bodies will not give us true life is what he's talking about. Only Jesus is the kind of food and drink that gives us true and eternal life. This is very important. I know, see, because right away when we think food, right away we think burritos, tacos, pizza, lasagna. Some of you are like, well, I don't like that food. Okay, salads, veggies, however you want to take it. In other words, your mind right away thinks consumption through the mouth. It does not think consumption through the spirit. What Jesus is trying to do here is he's trying to change their mindset. He's trying to flip around the way that they've normally done things. Now, remember, I, I understand this, too. This is a hard saying. They even said, this is hard. Who is to understand this? But this is very important. In verse 56, he says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. In other words, this kind of eating and drinking that Jesus is in us and we are in him. That is, this eating and drinking is the way we have union with Christ so that his life counts for our life. See, that's why we have eternal life when we feed on Christ. His life goes into us and we go into him. There is a union that makes us a part of life and him a part of our life. There is no eternal life except in the union with him. For those of you that are married, right away the preacher or the priest told you, and now the scriptures, the two shall become one. It's a union. When he's talking about feeding on me, he's talking about a union. Now, this is very important. Even though I'm married to my wife, I have my own body. She has her own body. But there is a union. We have become one. If you want to become one with Christ, you must eat of him so that he can abide in you. It's a union. This is what he was trying to share with these disciples. But what does 
eating the flesh of Jesus and drinking the blood of Jesus mean? Now, this was a very offensive language to the Jewish colleagues of Jesus' time. Matter of fact, when you read it, it sounds like cannibalism, right? Like, wait a second. Uh, that's a little weird. Matter of fact, to the Mosaic law in the book of Leviticus, uh, that was sin, cannibalism, sin. Like, and so when Jesus said this to the Jewish uh, Pharisees and to those disciples of this time, that was like, wait a second, what are you saying? This was very offensive. I want you to know something. Jesus said a lot of things that were very offensive. Listen, when you come to church, there's going to be some things that are very offensive. I don't agree with that. I don't like that. That's fine. You don't have to like it. I don't preach for you to like it. I preach for you to live it. I'm not here. Oh, I, I like that part. I don't like that part. Listen, you can watermelon this seed all day all you want. You say, I like the good. Okay, well, then spit out the bad. If you don't like it, spit it out. But if it's good for you, like your mom used to say, eat it. And this is what my mom used to say. Just don't eat it. You're going to eat the whole thing. It's the same answer that we see in John chapter 6, verse 35. It says, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. See, coming to Jesus as the bread of life to still, uh, to still the hunger of your soul is the same as believing in him. See, that's what believing is. It is being satisfied with all that God is for us in Christ. Now we see the same thing, even in more graphic language, of the flesh and even of the blood in verse 40 and verse 54. Uh, if you want to highlight these verses, verse 54 says, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks of my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 40 says, Everyone who looks on the Son of Man and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. See, the parallels of these two scriptures go with the second half of John chapter 6, verse 35, and it shows this. In Jesus' mind, eating his flesh and drinking his blood are a figurative way of saying this. Catch this. This is the main point right here. Believe in me. Trust in me. Receive me. Get your nourishment from me so that I can give you life. In other words, St. Augustine said this. Believe and you have eaten. Believe and you have eaten. That's where, where the belief, that's why we got to say, you must believe. When, whenever you accept Christ as your Savior, the first thing we always say is, number one, you got to admit that you're a sinner. If you don't admit it, it's going to be very difficult for you to believe in him who can save you. Admit that you're a sinner. But after you admit, believe. Believe that Jesus Christ died for you. Now, this is the thing. As a disciple, the easiest thing we can say is, I believe Jesus is my Savior. But it's very difficult to say, I believe that Jesus could take me out of this situation. That's a hard saying. Well, no, no, I, I believe, but do you really believe it? Because if you're believing it, then you're going to eat on his words. You're going to take his word, and you're going to take this into your situation and say, God, no matter what I'm going through, I know you're right here with me. Can I hear an amen? See, the general motion of this chapter from beginning to end is that anyone may have eternal life, if they will receive Jesus and trust in Jesus, treasure Jesus, and be satisfied with all that God is, has done for them in Christ. Whoever feeds on my flesh, that is, whoever believes in me, 
has eternal life, and I abide in you, and my life becomes your life forever. What we can even see a little bit more specific in Jesus, how he gives eternal life in verse 51. He says, the bread that I give for the, uh, excuse me, the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. In other words, he's giving a foreshadow of the sacrifice that he is about to give for you and I. He's already saying that my flesh is about to die for your life. He's giving an understand, a foreshadowing of what is about to take place, a substitution for the world. In other words, he's pointing to the cross. And remember, when you read in John chapter 3, verses 14 through 15, it says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So here, when he talks about in chapter 6, about eating and drinking of the flesh and the blood of Christ, he means trust in him as the one who dies for you. Receive him as the one who gives life for you. Treasure him as the one who bears God's wrath for you. Feed on all that God is for you in him because of the suffering of his flesh and the shedding of his blood. Eternal life is possible for sinners like us. Not only because we receive Jesus, but because the Jesus we received suffered in his flesh and shed his blood so that our sins could be blotted out because Jesus took our place. We receive him as a perfect substitution, as our punishment, and as our righteousness. See, that's the offer of John chapter 6. Receive Jesus as the all-satisfying bread from heaven who gives life to the world because he would die in our place and rise again. Now, this is very important because we see in verse 41 that there is grumbling taking place, a resistance taking place, and even in verse 52, they say, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? In verse 64, there are some of you who do not believe, Jesus said. And even in verse 66, many of his disciples turned back and no longer could walk with him. And even in verse 70, somebody is called the devil. So in all this, amen, praise the Lord, Jesus is life. He gives life. He gives eternal life. But there's still grumbling going on. Jesus is all-powerful. Uh, he's, all, he's sovereign. He is great. He is wonderful. But there's a devil in the midst. All of these things that are still happening, and yet there's still grumbling and complaining going on. This right here frustrates, would seemingly frustrate God's purpose. It would seem like man holds the key to his very own soul, and it can only be unlocked from the inside, and God cannot get in. The devil looks like he is winning. But what I love about this portion of scripture is that what you and I have to understand is that that's not the way that it is. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. What he was doing then, and this is very important, he knows what he's doing now. Some of you may feel like you're going through it and nothing's ever going to change. Some of you may feel right now like there's a devil in the midst. Some of you may feel right now that there's grumbling and complaining, even though you know God is awesome, God is powerful, but everything around you seems like, like you're going through hell. But I want you to know something. God is sovereign. God knows what he's going through. God knows what you're going through. God knows exactly what you need at that time. Don't worry about it. 
Don't fret about it. Don't complain about it. Don't grumble about it. You got to be able to eat. What is eating? Believe. Tell your neighbor, believe. See, we see it four times that God is in charge. Verse 44, we see the grumbling, but it says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. In other words, your grumbling and disputing are not significant. What is significant is the Father drawing us closer to him. Verses 61 through 63, no one can come to me unless the Father draws them. And even verse 63, it is the Spirit who gives life, and the flesh is of no help at all. In other words, God, God's rule over whomever has life, we in our flesh cannot create this life. Verse 64 through 65, this is why I told you that no one could come to me unless it is granted by the Father. He keeps saying this over and over and over and over again. And it isn't until Peter finally gets it and realizes, he says, hey, Lord, where should we go? Where can I go? I can't go anywhere. You're the one that gives eternal life. You're the one that understands. You're the one that I'm trying to get this from. Everyone else, they just want miracle. They just want the bread for temporary. I don't want temporary bread. I want and I desire eternal bread. The only kind of food that can give me the everlasting life. Where can I go? No one else is going to provide it for me. Only you can. See, this is what happens when Jesus dwindled it down all the way from 5,000 to 12. You know, the heavy thing about it is that Jesus didn't tell the 5,000 to go away. He just preached and taught, and they went away. I'm going to let you marinate on that real quick, because I know a lot of times, we, we tend, this is how we tend to think. Man, you know what? I'm going to tell her off. I'm going to tell him. I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. You know what? I want you to know something. Some of you cannot afford to give away a piece. Keep that thing. Some of you already gave away too many pieces. See, and you may think, well, if I just tell them off, I just, just give me, you know, God, God, just give me one moment, and then you can forgive me right after. You know the way Jesus did it? He just taught. He shared the gospel. He shared eternal life. These were hard sayings, and alone, because they were hard teachings, the hardness of the lessons alone made people that wanted easy tickling of the ears, the easy, uh, easy come, easy go lessons, they just went away. The hard lessons kind of make you dig down deep. This is exactly what happened here. Finally, somebody out of all of them began to believe. Beware, Peter, of presuming that you are a pivotal cause of your faith. In other words, it's not in your flesh. It was I myself who chose you. You didn't choose me first. John chapter 15, verse 16 says, I know whom I have chosen. And even in John chapter 13, verse 18. And then he says to the 12, and to make sure that all of you realize how supreme I am over this whole affair, even though it looks much like a failure, even one of you is the devil. That's crazy. He puts them right smack in the middle of this verse, in the middle of this chapter, that really just makes me like, that's crazy. Why in the midst of a powerful miracle? I mean, the, think about it. We've heard the story before, the feeding of the 5,000. Powerful, powerful. Not only the feeding of the 5,000, but after that, Jesus walks on water. 
right? He walks on water. Man, this, well, that's crazy. Well, this is awesome. Man, did you see? And the words just spread all around. People travel to the other side. Hey, aren't you the one? You weren't in the boat. How come I didn't see you get in the boat? Don't worry about it. I know you're looking for me, but you need to understand that I've always been here. Wait, what's going on? This is crazy. Well, if you eat of me and the bread of life, whoa, man, we're talking about eating flesh. Is he accountable? What's going on here? Man, this is going, oh my gosh, look at it. He's been healing people. This guy's been getting healed. I heard about on the other side of the lake, that guy get healed. This is crazy. This is, oh, I don't understand that. Yeah, I just want you to know in the midst of it all, there's a devil here. I mean, think about this. That was a crazy day. This all happened within a day. This is a crazy day, a crazy night. These guys just got off the boat in the midst of a storm, and yet they come here, and I don't, I don't understand this. Now, the chapter ends with this, and this is where I'm going to end it, because it ends with misunderstanding. That's how it ends. This makes no sense whatsoever. It goes on to another story, the very next chapter, something else. I say it, and I close with this, is that because some of you are right now, you're in the midst of situations that you don't fully understand. You believe, but it's a very hard belief. You know that God is the center of your finances, but it's very difficult. You know that God is the center of your marriage, but uh, you're just still wondering if you've made the right choice. I mean, you're, you're like, yeah, but. So you, you have like this, yeah, but. Whenever you have that, yeah, but, well, what it is is that you're surviving on the food of this world. In other words, you're getting by. You're making it. Your, your eyes are opening every morning after you fell asleep and closed them the night before. So you're getting by, but the life and the spirit is not in you. You see what I'm saying? You're, you're getting there. You got to the other side of the lake. But in the midst of it all, like, man, after all the things I've been through, you're still going to put a devil next to me? Yes, I am. Dude, I don't, why, would, why would you do that? That makes no sense. Exactly. You're trying to make sense of it. You're trying to reason it. You're trying to put it all together. See, what you must understand is that while you're on this journey, while you're on this road, no matter who's around you, there should be only one person that's inside of you. If you abide in him, he will abide in you. See, a lot of people tend to think that, okay, if I work hard, I'll bear fruit. Did you know that that's not what the scripture says? The scripture says, if you abide in me, I will abide in you, and then you will bear fruit. See, far too often we think that, okay, if I work hard, uh, you know, my Bible study, I do this, I do my ministry, I got all these people, I do all this stuff. And so you're seeing fruit in the natural, but that's what Jesus is trying to get across here. He says, look, that flesh that you're eating of, it's temporary. It's temporary stuff. Until you understand what it is for me to abide in you and you to abide in me, you're going to miss the whole story. You're going to miss the whole thing. Right now, some of you are in the midst of stories that you're writing your own story right now that you don't fully understand. Why is it happening like this? Why can't God just zap him? Why can't God just zap her? Why can't God just, you know, if they could just understand. You know, if they were to get a flat tire, then they would see me at work and say, I told you so. See, that's the power of God because I told them so. And so we tend to think that's fruit. That's not fruit. That's flesh. That's flesh. We want to feed our flesh. We want to feed our own desires. Because, God, if you do this, God, if you give me this, God, you're missing 
the whole thing. You're going, so some of you might be here, you, you just want to see the miracles. If a miracle happens, I'll believe. You're going to miss it. Did you know that there's stories in the Bible that Jesus could not go to the city and perform miracles because of their unbelief? That's what the Bible says. It says that Jesus was going to go to the city, and he decided, you know what, I'm not going to go to the city. They, don't, they won't believe me. So he left. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, one of the most famous scriptures in all the world, that whoever believes, it's belief. Do you believe that God can get you out of that situation? Yeah, but do you believe that God can reach anybody and everybody? Yeah, but you should really meet this guy. You're, you're getting by, but you're not believing. The belief has to do with feeding on the words of God, feeding on who he is. Do you really believe it? Because remember, the fruit will show if you abide in him and he abides in you. Now, listen to me. Like I said, this is a, a disciple's message, and this is probably something that I would maybe teach to, you know, uh, 20 or 30 guys, and we would, you know, discuss. That's what really this kind of teaching is. I get that. I understand that. But I was even in debate last week about preaching this message because it's a hard saying. I get it. It's hard. It's difficult because it ends on a negative note. That makes no sense. I don't want to leave church negative. You don't have to. You need to learn. You need to leave church abiding. That's how you need to leave. Abide. Let your marriage abide. Let your parenting abide. Let your finances abide. Let your mentality abide. See, far too often we think if I can handle it my way, you keep handling it your way and you're going to get the fruits of the flesh. Anger begets anger. That's what's going to happen. Bitterness begets bitterness. You know what I've learned? As it comes to the piano, I don't know where he's at. You know what I've learned? And I've shared this before. you got to be very careful of the one thing that you hate. I hate when people say this about me. I hate when people, you know, you know, like everybody has one thing that they hate. Man, I hate when people cut me off. Man, I hate when, you know, uh, I hate when people talk behind my back. Why don't they say it to my face? You know, this is what I've learned. You must be very careful of the one thing you hate because you're going to become that thing. I hate when people talk behind my back. You know what I find? The people who hate that the most think about it the most and unconsciously do it the most. But they rationalize it. Oh, I, I don't do that. I was just expressing my concern. It's the same thing. You're just, you know, sanitizing it, making it seem nice. It's the same thing. Gossip is gossip. Rumors are rumors. It's the same thing. Well, I didn't intend for that. Okay, well, maybe you didn't intend it. But all of a sudden, the one person, well, they did it on purpose. How do you know that? You meditate. You dwell on those things. As a man thinks, so is he. If you keep on thinking about those things, see, you're abiding in bitterness. You're abiding in anger. You're abiding in lust. You're abiding in, the, you're abiding in these things. Oh, I don't do that. Well, stop abiding in those things. Stop dwelling on those things. Stop watching those movies. Stop listening to that music. See, we don't tell people what music to listen to and what movies. We don't do that stuff. We could just tell what you're abiding in by the fruit that comes out. That's how it works. 
It's a spiritual thing. See, what we're give, what I'm giving to you right now is spiritual. If you think in the flesh, you're going to get mad at me. Oh, I, see, this is what you're going you're gonna to leave here from this church going, Pastor said I can't watch that movie. I never said that. Watch whatever you want. Listen to whatever you want. Everything is permissible, the Bible says. Everything. You can do whatever you want. Just not everything is beneficial. You can do it. Go for it. You want to go do that? Do it. But is that abiding in him? Because if it doesn't abide in him, then please don't abide by me. I got to work out my own salvation with fear and trembling. I don't need any rotten fruit around me because I've learned that other people's rotten fruit can spoil my fruit. I've learned that. I'm still human. Yes, I'm a pastor, but I'm human. And if people have rotten fruit around me, as much as I try to, it'll just, ah, how did that happen? I, it never happens, but it's, I'm human. It happens. Bad company corrupts, right? But even though there is bad company, that's, that's the end of this message. Even though there is bad company, God knows what he's doing. God knows exactly what he's doing. You got to just learn. Okay, let my marriage abide in him. No matter what anybody else says, let my finances abide in him. Let my job abide in him. I want this to be his spirit. It's a spirit. It's a spirit. It's a spirit. Bow your heads with me here this morning. Father, I thank you. I thank you. First, you said it. Those are your words. You said it. You spoke the words. Secondly, your words are spirit. And thirdly, your words are life. It's the spirit that draws us to Christ. It's the spirit that empowers us. His words rejuvenate us. His words are life. It's a hard saying, hard teaching. Because we want the words of man to make us feel good. And yet the words of Christ need to abide in us first. With every head bowed and every eye closed, you're here this morning. There's kind of been a heart check here. And you've been saying, you know what? I have been abiding in things I shouldn't have been abiding in. I've been listening to things that I shouldn't have been listening to. Some of you, I know that's your favorite TV show, but I don't care if he has the position of a doctor in front of it. You may think it sounds good, but is it the words of God? I know you, you got a smart friend that, man, they're just so smart. They're, they're very sophisticated. They have an education. Uh, uh, they have a BA here. They have a master's degree here. And they're giving you words of wisdom that sound good to do. But unless those words are abiding in Christ, I'd be very careful. Be very careful. PhDs and the education of this world only go so far. They only go so far. Unless you abide in me and I in you. Unless you abide in me and I in you. I know this is a hard teaching, a hard saying, he said. Stay with me. Don't go nowhere. Stay right here, even in the midst of going through hell. Father, I pray that you would touch the hearts and minds and the bodies and the souls of these men and these women. Father, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. With every head bowed and every eye closed.